On behalf of Hospice of the Piedmont, welcome to the E-Series, an educational podcast aimed at engaging our community, exploring relevant topics, and educating about ways to connect with our organization. Funding for the E-Series is provided by the Dr. John A. Lusk Fund for Hospice and Palliative Care Education. My name is Ryan Biagini, and I am your host. Today, we continue our discussion, The Value of Caregiving, with CEO Trent Cockrum and Cher Limpock, Hospice of the Piedmont volunteer, and someone who has had a personal experience with caregiving. When we last left them, Trent and Cher were discussing how in-tune caregivers are to their loved one's needs and equally motivated to meeting those demands, yet can be unaware of their own needs and the overall impact the caregiving role is having on them. As we continue this conversation, Trent and Cher take a deeper look at how we, as a community, can begin to better meet the needs of caregivers by taking an assertive and intentional approach to engaging and supporting the caregivers we know. Let's listen in. That concept of of listening and sharing is really important. And so for those of us who know someone who may be a caregiver, um, what are some cues that we can take readily from them? Um, Mm -hmm. You know, most people have a tremendous want or desire to help people that they know who are in need. Um, And so what are some cues that we could listen for, that our listeners could listen for um, when they're talking to someone who is a caregiver that may be a cue for them to say, you know, I can be of some benefit to you. I can help you in some way. Can you talk a little bit about that? You know, one thing as a caregiver, we feel the weight of caring on a 24-hour basis. It's an all-the-time kind of thing. And Mm -hmm. um, speaking of like, calling in a friend or having a friend drop by, even a, um, a family member. Um, it reminds me of a recent conversation I had with a caregiver who said that her family members are, they, they do come by, um, but they come by and just uh, sit in the room with the, the loved one for a little while. And then they, they feel as if, oh, good. We've, we've done our part. It's kind of like a pat on the back. We've been here and now we're going to see you again in a few weeks where the caregiver needs more support than that. Um, but they're, they don't find the safety in being able to share the entire weight of what's going on. So often when we are like in a social setting and you know, somebody that's caring, we might say, well, how are things going? And they may say, oh, well, it's, it's fine. It's fine. Right. You know that because how can you go into the, the huge weight of what you're carrying? You, you could sit down for hours and describe all the things that are going on, but often you don't feel that you don't feel like you can do that. Like you don't have that safety. I think that as a person knowing someone who's going through it, my best advice is to actually lean into that. If someone doesn't really give you that much information to lean in and say, um, I'm sure this is very difficult. I'm sure that you are going through an emotional uh, season of your life. That's hard for you to manage. How can I help you with that? Could I bring a cup of coffee and a muffin over and we could just sit at the table for a little while and I can give you a chance to just share with me or, could I come over this afternoon? In other words, um, lean into it. They may not be willing to share with you exactly what's going on, but you're leaning in knowing that it's difficult can give them a feeling of safety. Yeah, you might- know, 
because on a spectrum, if if fine is the best you can get, that's a far cry from great and wonderful. Yes. Yes. Um, fine sort of to me would likely imply almost an, an invitation for me to ask some additional questions. Um, well, I would hope that it would be. And maybe that's where we need to learn as a community around caregivers. We all need to learn that space and that time where we realize this is a huge responsibility. I go back to my sister-in-law uh, just not realizing what all she was going through. I, I just don't think I had an understanding of it. Even giving her respite, I still don't think I had the understanding of the weight she was carrying. And I think as a, as a community around caregivers, let's take that extra step. Let's say, yeah. maybe you don't have to give me all the details, but I'm understanding this is really hard for you. How can I step in and provide you support or give you the kind of space you need at this time. Right. So, you know, we, we hit on this a little bit earlier on too. Um, and I want to explore this just really briefly. Um, this concept of, you know, I'm doing this because it's my responsibility. Um, and just talk a little bit about what you hear from caregivers related to that and, um, and how it affects them, either negatively or positively. Right. I have someone in mind I was just speaking with yesterday, um, and she is the daughter-in-law of the, the person who is um, nearing end of life. So it's her husband's father. Mm -hmm. And um, she just has such a, a burden to make sure that everyone in that family understands what's all going on. She has, she's, she's feeling very uh, like it's not her dad. So she wants to share with her husband and her husband's brother and sister. She wants them to all understand the weight of what's going on when in reality, they're happy she's doing it. Oh. <laughs> They're happy she's stepping in. Right. And I think that's what often happens in a caregiving role. We, we end up with people who are just relieved that somebody's doing it. That's often family members where really the caregiver is, is trying to say out loud, can you come alongside? Can you be here with me? Can you take part of this role? And, and so I, I can hear her doing that. I can hear her wanting and desiring to share a deeper, uh, a deeper level of what's going on. And yet she's feeling a little bit uh, insecure about doing it. And that leaves her in a place of, of feeling like everything's on her own shoulders. Yeah. And then, and then along with that, I suspect comes this feeling of isolation, All, even though she's got this other support around, it's just almost like a, um, and I hate to characterize it as this, but uh, just sort of a, a deficit in, in perhaps understanding on a, on a real basic level, um, but then even taking it to the next one, one further iteration beyond that, which is being able to say for, in her case, hey guys, I need some help. 
Yeah, and that happens so often. You have a big family of people, all who are aware of what of the situation. And like I said before, they may drop by for a visit and think, great, I have provided what is needed here. Um, and, and yet the person doing the caregiving feels very alone, like they are doing this all on their own, even though there's a group of people around. Right. Because we're not... Um, we're not understanding the weight of what's actually happening. The, those of us that are watching that go on, we just don't understand the weight of it. Um, as a hospice organization, I think we can, we can help people get a grip on what it takes to be a caregiver. Maybe that, that could be one of our roles. And uh, in the time when you come into hospice care, can we not also talk to caregivers as a, these are things you can expect yeah. to happen? I, I appreciate that. And I think that's one of the things that I know we as an organization, as you know, um, are beginning to really try to move the needle on in a very responsive way, um, in a very responsible way as well within our own community. Because what we're talking about right now today is happening in 53 million homes across the country. And that's not just in hospice, that's that's for people who are not in hospice. That's for people who are in hospice. That's, that's for people who are being cared for in a home by, or, or, or wherever they are um, by an unpaid caregiver. And as we've, as we've established now time and time again, there are many different types of caregivers because even though someone may not be in your home, if, if you are doing something for them, you are in effect being a caregiver to them. Um, and so it's about creating an awareness, something I'm really proud about our organization for, for taking a real initiative to do and understand not just for our own patients that we're taking care of today, but again, bringing a heightened awareness to the community about, look, th this is happening down the street from you. You know somebody that this is happening to um, so I'm, I'm really excited, um, uh, about that again, a selfish, selfish plug, selfless plug for our own organization, but in the work that we're doing, but I think it's so impactful and has the potential to create such awareness, right? I think it does. And when we look at the, um, where we've been for the last year and a half, the pandemic has mm -hmm. created for us, uh, a lot more opportunity to be, um, involved in the care of people. We, I know I have a dear friend who's had to take uh, her mother out of a nursing home and bring her home because now she's being the caregiver at home. And it, it wasn't really that the care wasn't being provided well in the nursing home, but more that she wanted the contact with her mother. She mm -hmm. wanted to see her all the time. And that was, that was prevented during the pandemic. And I think that's one reason why we're suddenly aware of what's happening in the caregiver circumstance because we have had to be together more. We've had mm -hmm. our children in our house for the last year and a half. We've, we've brought people home from nursing homes. We've had mm -hmm. other people. And so we're suddenly being confronted with these roles that we haven't had before. And now we realize what it takes to do it. If I, um, I can name so many people that I realize are giving care in their own way, either to someone who's ill that might get better or to someone who's dying and, and they're going to be there for them now. And this is a, you know, I have another friend who's 
just been diagnosed with a life-limiting illness and she doesn't have family. So this is friends that are going to be coming by. And right. these are happening all around us if we keep our eyes open. This is what's happening. This is where we are. Hi, friends. It's your host, Ryan Biagini. Join us for future episodes to learn more about the innovative work our organization is doing specific to understanding and supporting caregivers and how you can engage with us to be a part of this exciting community change. Subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts to be sure not to miss an episode. And now let's get back to the conversation. There are some uh, recent statistics that, that um, I think AARP put out and, and are widely accessible in a lot of different places. But, you know, the oldest of the baby boomer generation is 75. The youngest of them are 57. Um, and, um, you know, as we sort of think about, if we go back 10, 15, 20 years, we are all anticipating this silver tsunami. I recall that being the name that, you know, sort of resonated with everybody, but it hasn't yet stopped because, you know, these are ripples that are continuing to roll across the shore, right? And, and what the reality is, and you just named one really great example is, is that not everybody has children. We've reached that point now where there are many people who have no children, adult children to care for them. Um, there are people who, um, for any number of reasons, are living uh, al alone, but are, are either in that age group or out of that age group who are having to think about, gosh, what will my caregiving actually look like? And so it, it's about bringing not only just a larger community awareness, but an actual self-awareness and reflection about how am I going to do this if I don't have this or this or this or whatever the considerations might be, someone to take care of me. I mean, you know, that's just sort of the reality of where we find ourselves, which is why I think the conversation we're having right now is so important and why I think um, elevating this um, to a community level, to a regional level, to a state level, and ultimately a national level is so really important because um, it's only it's not going to get any it's not going to get better miraculously. It won't, and we I I can speak directly to that. I have two sisters; neither one have children, and so I am I am thinking about them when you speak that way. What will they do as they get older? You know, what will we do as a family to help support them? But I think that is exactly where we need to take this conversation. Not only do we have people who either don't have children, but we have um, many people who are um, uh, very involved career-wise and where it becomes impossible for them to quit a job or take on the role of caregiving. If they have to, then they're, they're putting their entire family in a um, compromised position. Sometimes that's the choices we have to make. Mm -hmm. I'm going to compromise my uh, financial position of my family to take care of this person that I need to take care of. And there's right. lots of different ways to look at what's coming down the road, but all of them have to do in this role, in this idea with caregiving, it has to do with how can we do a better job yeah. as a community in being able to be aware of what's actually happening. And as an organization, how can we provide that support better right. um, in all these roles? Uh, there's opportunity. Yeah. And I think for us as an organization, um, 
we've sort of taken a, a little bit of a step back, a pretty, a pretty big step back and taken time to really look at ourselves internally to see what can we do better to help support the needs of caregivers better. Not that we haven't done a great job of that in the last 40 years, but, but isn't there more that we can do um, in a way that is, that is beneficial for the caregiver, that is beneficial for the patient, but then that also enhances our own ability to support both of those in a really responsive and responsible way. Um, so I'm really excited about some of the work that we're doing now. We've touched on some of that, and there'll be more to come about that in the coming months, which I think is really exciting. A teaser for those of, for those listeners who are really engaged with us and want to learn more. Um, so stay tuned. But but I'm 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 really um, I'm really excited about that because just as you said, we I think we can acknowledge that now more so than we ever have. Because of the shared experience that we've had over the last, you know, 18 or 20 months. We are in such a perfect position as hospice organizations to be able to say, what's our greater role? What's the wider view? And we can take the lead in helping not only the patients that we serve and their caregivers, but community-wide helping people to see this in a broader sense. We're, we are in a great role to do that. Hospice has done a terrific job of caring for the patient, anticipating the needs of the patient, knowing what's coming down the road, being able to uh, anticipate what is, what is the next step to happen. And just adding to that is how can we support our caregivers? So that right. role in our community is just, um, it's, it's a wonderful place that we can take we can take on. I, I've, I'm so encouraged to hear you say that, Cher, because it, it really is, I think that's where we begin to move the needle, right? Not to encourage people um, to engage, just to engage with hospice sooner, but more importantly, to um, acknowledge that this caregiving responsibility that people have oftentimes happens over a long span of time. Um, and, you know, having the ability to, to acknowledge that, having the ability to empower a caregiver to say, wow, um, you know, I'm not a failure, um, but this is hard. Um, those two things don't really go together because I think so many people are so afraid of caregivers I'm talking about, are so afraid of of doing less than what their loved one would have anticipated for them. Because in many cases, the person for whom they're providing care never failed them. So they don't want to fail themselves. It's so true. This is often a person that you are very close to. If you are doing the primary caregiving, you are likely a person. It is either your parent or your spouse or your partner or your child. And it's someone that um, there's such a a burden, I want to say, although it's often in a positive way, you want to give them what they have given you. You want to be there to provide for them in a way that number one, they deserve, but also that you desire to give them. It's a, it's, it's really all about love. Right. And often the, the, what's required is almost more than we can give. Um, I think of a, 
of a professional, let's just say a medical professional who's doing the job of, of caring, um, they can't do it 24 seven either. Can we, can we acknowledge that a caregiver, this is a huge role for them. And so doing it 24 seven is, is weightier than anyone can actually do. Right. Right. So Cher, we have had a really wonderful and incredibly insightful conversation. Um, we've talked about what it means in, pra- in a practical sense to be a distant caregiver, a tangential caregiver, to, to what the commonalities are between both of those, and then what you hear from now others in the role that you're doing in our own organization, which is helping support caregivers and understanding their needs better, to even a teaser about things that are yet to come for our own organization, which is really exciting. I'm having to sit on my hands not to really talk about that too much, Um, but it's very exciting. But, you know, as we think back over this entire conversation, um, you know, what is the one thing or two things that you think are so impactful for people to really take away from this conversation related to caregiving? I would say that I believe the most important impactful thing that we could do for caregivers is to anticipate the challenges they're gonna have um, as a caregiver, or maybe the ones they're actually having right now. So it, it runs on two veins. If I'm going to be a caregiver, uh, coming into it with the um, at least understanding of maybe what I'm what I'm going to be doing so that I can either prepare myself or allow myself to pull in support. That's one thing I would like as a caregiver to have known ahead of time. Mm-hmm. But the other thing is, can we also just lean in um, as a community, as yes, an organization, but also just in our community. What can we not lean in to the caregivers that are doing the job right now? I I would love for us, for me as a person to be able to see someone who's doing this job and lean into them and say, I want to support you. How can I do that? What is it that I could do today? Or instead of asking the question, how about present part of the answer? I will come by. I will mow your lawn for you. I will bring dinner on Tuesday. I will come on a Thursday morning and give you the day off. I will do those things. We as a community can come alongside people and do that. Yeah, I think the charge that I just heard from you to anybody who's listening to this is that we should leave this conversation with an action step to support somebody. Um, that's what I heard. So share. Yeah, this time of the year. I mean, we're, we're in this giving moment of time, time of the year when, when we're looking for ways to, you know, you, you give money to support, of uh, uh, feeding people and, you know, but what about those people you already know that are doing this job that let's step up to the plate. Let's, let's look around. What can we do right now? to help someone today, this week, next week? What can we do? Make it a part of our everyday life. Cher, it has been a privilege to spend this time with you today. Um, I thank you so very much um, that you've given us so many insights. um, And 
I'm really excited to see where we go and how this caregiver thing um, that we're working on currently really um, plays out for our community. I'm really excited. So again, leaving with an action step to help support somebody is really the message we've sent today. So thank you for that. Thank you, Trent. I really appreciate being here today. Thank you for joining us for part two of our discussion, The Value of Caregiving. If you missed one of these episodes in this series, be sure to visit the resources section of www.hospiceofthepiedmont.org to access these as well as all previous E-Series episodes. In addition, please subscribe to our channel on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, or Google Podcasts so that you'll receive notifications of future E-Series podcast episodes. Until next time, I'm Ryan Biagini. And this has been the E-Series.